0: Play. <laughs> where might they? Where might they tee off?
1: Yes. <laughs> for
0: content.
1: Hello and welcome to episode one hundred and thirty-one of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is the marketing and the F is for well, you decided. You're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star, but I've picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from techie to CMO and trusted advisor. And each week I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums, and share with you some marketing street knowledge that I hope will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was called on Friday the 9th of September 2022. I hope you had a good week you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. On this week's episode in the marketing studio, Jeff Clark and I chat about working with agencies. I go backstage with the CMO of Paddle, Andrew Davis, and I wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment.
3: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And, of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You heard her. Go subscribe.
1: On to our first segment, the marketing studio with Jeff Clark, rockstar CMO advisor and former Forrester Serious Decisions research director. This week, he has some advice for working with agencies. Welcome back, Jeff, to Rockstar CMO FM to the studio. The studio with Jeff Clark. <laughs> <How are> you?
3: <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for welcoming me back and you're for coming welcome. into my studio.
1: <laughs> no, you're very welcome. And um, the topic, uh, because we uh, we talk ahead of time. Oh, the first thing is, uh, as we're doing this in real time, and we're talking on Friday, and this goes out tomorrow. How's the weather?
3: The weather is awesome. We uh, we, we got a uh, we got almost a summer's worth of rain in two days and then the <laughs> sun came out and so uh, things are um, things are are back alive the lawn looks yes. slightly green yeah um, and uh, so yeah and so I, we probably sent our rain your way because I noticed in yeah. the news about um, the queen passing and everybody uh, yeah. being around the various castles and stuff like yeah. that that the rain was coming pouring down with- pouring that was just like yeah. our rain Monday and Tuesday, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, sorry to we send it over to you,
1: yeah, not just the weather, but also the news. I know We're it was, uh, but yeah, a sad day indeed. It was a sad day. Um, I was gonna make a comment about the fact that I think lawns are a miracle because a few weeks ago, ours was dead, like dead, and then, like you say, a couple of days of rain, all of a sudden it needs a mow again, it's all green, yeah, which is amazing, but uh. <laughs> Yes, it's a it's a tra- it's a sad day for us here in the UK of losing our queen. Well, we didn't lose her. We know where she is. Okay? <laughs> she, she's passed away after ninety six years of ser- seventy years of service and ninety six years yeah. of, of life. But uh, yes, and we move on to from one Elizabethan era to King Charles III. Yes, okay, we
3: go. it is uh, definitely a marker, and certainly uh, we over here on our side uh, have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we feel like we, we, all the news that we get about the royal family, but all the, yeah. I mean, she's just been as involved in our consciousness, I guess, for the yeah. past 70 plus years as uh, yeah. as as yeah. you. So it's, um, yeah, it's a yeah. big loss.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've known nobody else. And like I was saying before, I mean, she's connected before we started recording, she's connected us to much of our. Yes, our uh, um, who we are as as, as British people. Yeah, it's like if yeah. Franklin
3: Roosevelt lived till today and finally passed away, we'd be like, yeah. "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, the, the
1: uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth connects us with the war and, and so many yeah. momentous occasions in this in this world. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so um, uh, in, <laughs> to, we'll change gears completely. There's, I don't think there's any segue you can make from the death of a monarch, too the topic of this week, which is how we we manage the best practices for managing agencies, which is a topic we've prepared and I think is a good one for this week. Um, The reason why is we talk about our Fid marketing fundamentals and we talk about branding, which is typically where you'd bring in an agency, but also various other disciplines that you could use some outside help, right? But and I'm going to use uh, what you put in the notes and steal this. <laughs> onboarding an agency is like onboarding a new hire. You don't have a one-hour intro and then say, make it happen. This happens for any – and as you say, this happens for any type of agency. I mean, we use people for SEO, PPC, don't we? Add yep. digital, PR, all that stuff. So what's the secret? Say <laughs> – I've written this wrong in the notes, haven't I? So what
3: say you, Jeff? <laughs> Well, I will I'll, I'll first start on and, um, you know, just to, to kind of build on what you were just saying about, you know, hiring somebody. It's like, you know, usually you mm-hmm. – you, there are a number of reasons for hiring an agency. You know, one, you don't have the yeah. skills in-house. Secondly, you um, – you know, maybe you don't want to have the skills and you don't want to hire them, yeah. you know, because that could yeah. be one of the things. Do we have an agency do this? Do we hire somebody yeah. and, we, and we do it in-house? And certainly yeah. all those things, creative digital, telesales or whatever, I mean, we've lived in, been in organizations where we have brought those things in-house and or used yeah. agencies. And the thing is that you, um, you know, you, you you have to realize that it it's not, you know, just like you wouldn't hire uh, somebody and put them at a desk and, you know, maybe give them a little yeah. manual and say, go to it, although yeah. that has happened. Um but it does it's not <laughs> yeah. a it's not a recipe for success. So I think there's yeah. a number of things that you have to think through. Um mm. and I kinda of put together kind of three steps for the success of working with a with a marketing yeah. agency, again, applying to any type of agency from advertising to telesales. Yeah. Um and they're kind of little subsets of, of or sub steps under those, but um yeah. you know, I think the the first thing to say so, Oh, go ahead.
1: Hey, just to interrupt you just a second there. I think that was the important point you made there about why it is you would choose an agency, why you bring an agency in, which is skills, right? And scale, isn't it? It's the, Those are the two primary Absolutely. Reasons. Plus, I think with the skills thing, I think when you bring people in-house, you lose something, especially with things like SEO and PPC, because those <sighs> people have a whole bunch of different clients. They're seeing this stuff every day. They're working with it every day. But if you bring that in-house, they've only got one client they're not seeing all those permutations stuff. So yep. I think, I think it's important to make that point ahead of it. So
3: we we'll move on to your, how, how do you approach it? What, do you, what are your steps? Yeah. So first one is set up, set expectations. And, and I'll, I'll, right. again, I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback on on what you had just said, which is, you know, you're, mm. you, you have to honor their expertise. They've been doing you're you're mm. come, bringing them in to do something for you that is, uh, that yeah. they've been doing for other clients. And so, They have built an expertise that you have desired not to bring in house. And so you have to, you have to honor that and, and, and certainly give them their due when they, when they're providing advice. And, and a, and a part of that is you're also buying not just their expertise, but their objectivity. They don't, I mean, they're working for you on the contract basis, but they don't work for you. So they have objective opinions based on whatever they've done in the market, obviously. If they're doing, yeah. you know, SEO, uh, yeah. they know what's going on in SEO. They know what's going on with yeah. Google and the other search engines. They they're tuned into things that that you don't that you're not that you are not you probably not tuned into, and so yeah. you're buying their expertise and their objectivity and how to apply that expertise. And right. and I think a, another thing from an expectation perspective that is extremely yeah. important that I've run into many times is you got to budget. The time to manage them, so yes you 're hiring them yeah. to do things like that, like the skills and the yeah. scale, but you yeah. can 't just say, you know um, you know after a couple of meetings with the key stakeholders, your guys are going to yeah. go off and do a bunch of stuff. You really have to work through how you 're prepping the agency, how you 're yeah. feeding them information, you know you really want to have somebody who's like the the liaison the the liaison with the agencies yeah. and make sure that 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 they're getting what they need and you, and is and anything that they need back from you the client that they're able to to access that through the through the liaison yeah and um you know it's like you you just want to make sure that that again you're setting them up for success and sometimes at the end yeah. of projects i know a number that i've been involved on it's like you you say gosh with well, all the time we put into this you know maybe we could yeah. have done that the, but, but if the final product is great, you really don't want to sweat it because um, because that's, again, well, you're buying that expertise yeah. and you're buying that. And, and, you know, if you if you put yeah. anything that I've done, um, particularly some of the work that I did with branding when we were at SDL, it's like yeah. we put a lot of effort into the agencies mm. that, that actually delivered yeah. for us and, um, yeah. and it was well worth the effort. I think
1: it's hard when you're an in, when you're an internal creative. there's a couple of things on that. I think it's hard when you're an internal creative because you're working with the agency, giving them loads and loads of feedback and then it comes back basically and you feel like you did it. <laughs> it's like and the agency are getting all the credit, which is which is yeah. a problem. But also um what I've also seen in, in, in my career is that you can have senior marketers that basically outsource everything and basically outsource their marketing brains to the agencies, which is a step too far, isn't it? You that want to is be an a step client. too far. Absolutely. <laughs> no. But you want to be an intelligent client and understand the subject matter. <laughs> enough right yeah and but you still but but then you use them for the skills and scale in order to to expand on that so that so that first thing i think is really important i really like that jeff about setting the expectations especially the amount of time it's going to take for your internal team to care for the agency right so what's the
3: next step choose the agency wisely um <laughs> and and this is this is all about you know matches uh you know matches made in heaven or whatever it's like you know yeah. so you don't go for the the big names, um, because yeah. then you know the big name will give you the B team or the c team yeah. and and it's like well geez and matter of fact, when we were oh, at previous I think to our work yeah. at at the company I mentioned before, I mean they were working with one of the big names you know that started mm-hmm. with an O sitting in New York City that that uh you know on in terms of branding and advertising mm-hmm. and it's like. What you'll end up with is either something that is that is too grandiose for your organization, or they put the B yeah. team on it, and it's like, well, geez, you know that that, that um, I'm not I'm not satisfied with the results because, you know, you yeah. basically weren't given the right people, the time, and attention that the yeah. agency well, could I've,
1: provide. Yeah, well, I spent some time at McCann in London, <laughs> so I've actually been on the agency on the big name agency side, and it, it may it gave me such a good education for when I became a CMO because. If you're sitting around a table in a big pitch and you're seeing all of that talent that the agency are showing you, you may not work with that talent. Yeah. You need to make it very clear that what they've brought out is their best people for that pitch. They, you may never see them again. (laughs) So when you go through that process, make sure that the, and also the ratio for account management that you've got and all that kind of stuff is all, is all correct. But just make sure that you're going to get to speak to that, the eight player talent that you meet in that pitch. Is the people that are gonna be working on your account.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, sorry, a little bit of a rank. <laughs> no, that's that's that, you're right. You.
1: On. Yep. We had a really talented guy at McCann, and he mainly did pitches. He did, you know, he was so busy doing pitches that he was hardly doing any
3: client work. It was just incredible. Anyway, so and and we were I've, I've I've also been on the ride. inside of agencies where it's like I realize, you know, they're using me to bill hours, and I'm not <laughs> sure I'm doing the right work. <laughs> but, well, yeah, that's the other side, isn't it? And, yeah.
1: But that's, I mean, it's like the Deloitte or Accenture model, isn't it? Yeah, you want you sell you sell with your most expensive people and try and get the cheapest people to, to do, do, the do the work. And that's yeah. just the way agencies it, have to work, but the other thing is, is you. I think you need to appreciate that they have a commercial imperative as well, right? So you absolutely. don't want to screw your agency over. They need to make margin, but but that make sure you
3: know who you are going to work with. But that, but again, that's 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 why choosing the right size reputation, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, you know, reputation is is really important. It's like you know, you're if you're a small company, you want to work with small companies. If you're mid range, yeah. you know, yeah. and so looking at their client list and and you know seeing that there is companies like you, maybe not competitors, but companies like you that you can work with. And I think, I think the other so. thing is to be specific about, you know, the the competencies mm-hmm. you are looking for. And are you looking yeah. for, you know, an all-purpose agency that's going to do a lot of different types of marketing work, yeah. which I know we've both yeah. probably worked with in the past, or are you, yeah. are you, you know, you want some very specific skills, whereas when you get into the things like, search engine optimization or telemarketing mm-hmm. or whatever you know it's like you you can find really good organizations that just do that one thing really well and 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 that's what you're what you're hiring
1: yeah and i think that small company thing small agency thing if you're very, you know if you do your research you can actually because a lot of really good talent pops out of these big agencies and creates their own agency and you could be their first or second client yeah and they may have very little track record but when you look into their actual resumes of what they did that, that some, some of them are incredibly talented creatives or whatever, and you can get them on the cheap because you're, the, well, I don't mean on the cheap, but you can get them certainly significantly
3: less you would, than you would have got them if they were still at the big agency. So absolutely, yeah, so smaller
1: an, agencies can be good. Another
3: good sub-point to our choosing mm. wisely is you're, I mean, you're yeah. choosing people. Um, so yes. if there's the idea you're, okay, we're, we're yeah, contracting yeah, yeah. to an agency, but you're really choosing yeah. people. So who are people. the people we're going to work mm. with Mm. And and you know are going to be able to to really help us succeed at whatever the project is, and um, yeah. yeah.
1: And there's that there's that. I mean, being having come from the agency, you know, there's all there's that chemistry meeting. That's what they describe it in terms of the agency, and that's really important. Uh, to uh, to, to your point you were making earlier on about how much effort we need to put into selecting this agency well that chemistry part's really important so try and do something little with them just to understand you can work together right yep
3: yep yeah yeah
1: okay so we we've set our expectations internally we're choosing wisely we've selected our very finest agency that we're looking for so what
3: are we doing we're going to set them up for success So, you know, I mean, the typical thing is you're going to have a kickoff meeting where all the stakeholders get together, come have a big discussion, et cetera. And so defining who the stakeholders are on your side and who the stakeholders are on their side is really important. And if those people, if there are stakeholders who are not at the meeting, you know, who are they Mm -hmm. and, you know, and and what are the outcomes they're interested in? So if like you're the you're part of the marketing team. But you know that it's the president or the CEO of the company who is really interested in the yeah. outcomes. Then you know, let's make sure we know that they know that that is the case.
1: Yeah, and that's that, I mean that those racy models that you put together, you know, so you know who the because that's important for the agency as well as you because the the amount of cycles that get spun because oh. an approval process wasn't realized and then something you, you bring in a new approver, it changes everything, and then the agency is suddenly. Overbilling and looking for change,
3: change on your SOA, your, your uh, SOW, right? So that is a, actually that's another key one. I'm just gonna I'm adding mine to mine. The add define <laughs> the approval process because that yeah. I have yeah, been yeah. hung up with uh, either yeah. a certain executive was not did not make themselves yeah. available or. Yeah they didn't know to respond Absolutely. so quickly or yeah. or you know it's like oh can i get another view of a round of changes yeah. and it's like Ugh. so uh, we had, so understanding yeah. the that approval process is going to be yeah. pretty critical that is- and that's one of the things like in that first meeting you know defining stakeholders mm-hmm. define who the single point of content contact is which we talked mm-hmm. about a little bit earlier i mean that's incredibly important so who is that person you know so yeah. point to that person she's the one he's the one who everything is going to go through um
1: and the other the other thing about that is you're going to care about that possibly more than the agency will right they're not going to have that same internals pressures and
3: balances and stuff so you have to take some control over that Process, right? And, and but but they're definitely, you know, if the process goes awry, um, you yeah. know, they're going to be very willing to bill for the additional hours. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm saying.
1: That's what I'm saying. So they may not be quite as motivated to make this as efficient as possible as you might be. From abs- a abs- absolutely. <laughs> yeah,
3: Unless they've had experience yeah. with you and they're like, okay, this time around. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, nobody wants to have that conversation anyway,
1: right? So it's good for the agency and good for you if you can if you can bring the thing in on budget. Yeah. Um, and the approval process, uh, in my experience has been one of the biggest challenges to bringing things in on time and on budget. And that's
3: that actually that's whether the work's internal or external. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah.
1: That's true. That's <laughs> yeah. true. All right. So yeah. we've defined the stakeholders and we've got that racy model, the approval process. What else have we gotta do? We to got to we up? gotta
3: set very clear goals. So what does success mm. look like? You know, how are the outcomes yeah. gonna be measured? Are there yeah. interim steps in in terms yeah. of measuring our progress. How are we going to track the progress? Are there, you know, yeah. and then, and, you know, sort of putting together, and I know, you know, when I've yeah. worked as a consultant, it's like, okay, let's define, when are the check-in times? Yeah. When are the input sessions? When are the interim reports? When's the final yeah. report or the final decision? Yeah. When do things go live? You know, so, yeah. so, You know, you want to give them the information so that they can Mm -hmm. come back. Like if you're having your initial meeting and the result of the mission, the meeting is going Mm -hmm. to be like a statement of work or -hmm. something that they come back to you with. And you want to give them everything that they know so they can build out that that, you Mm -hmm. know, that milestone timeline uh, yeah. So that everyone's clear about this is what's going to happen when, and this is when the CMO needs to be available to review things. This is when, and obviously all that stuff yeah. you know changes. But the more loosey goosey yeah. you are about it at the at the front end, then the, the worse things <laughs> the more things can go yeah. sideways. Well, it's exactly well, exact your point at the beginning: is make sure that you
1: put <laughs> enough time into the project to be able to do that because you can't always trust the agency with their project management. They'll bill you for it. But you need to make sure that you're on top of the project as well, and you have a project manager as yeah. well, right?
3: So, and have yeah. actually making sure that as much as we were talking about, you know, your your mm-hmm. you know your your um, buying access to people is with the agency has yeah. a really good project manager as well. That is yeah. Yeah. that is a key to access in yeah, terms I mean, of choosing I mean, an agency absolutely. wisely. Absolutely. Um, the other thing is is you know you've got to. Um, You've got to be open to sharing as much as possible because you'll likely uh-huh. sign a non-disclosure agreement, you may sign a master services agreement yeah. and so and you'll have the discussion you know we're part of the team. so we want to you know uh-huh. want to be act as part of the yeah. team. So yeah. you know be as open as possible with them, share as much as possible, uh-huh. communicate honestly, consistently. You know, as yeah. almost as if they were, you know, they were now on staff um, mm-hmm. because you should have your protections in case they, you know, would, would misuse any information yeah. you share with them. And, uh, yeah. and I think most agencies certainly that are, that are worth their salt and have a decent track record will honor that. So really being open and, um, you know, sharing as much as possible is a, is a key yeah. to success.
1: Love it, love it. Yeah, so, that, so those are our three key steps, right? So we set the expectations up front, we choose wisely, and then we set the project up for success. I suspect, I mean, we've, we're we almost up to 20 minutes. Right? I suspect we could probably have done 20 minutes on each of
3: those three. We teams, probably you know? could, I and think, something to come back to, I, think, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think this is a, this is a really rich topic, especially with the experience that we we've had and some of the war stories
3: probably yes. that we could tell. Yes, <laughs> there are names I do not um, want to name.
1: <laughs> yes, and also oh, I missed something. Uh, so, and then finally, what do we do?
3: Oh, you, you measure. You know, measure, 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 measure. Is yeah. that is that yeah. you know you 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 want to make sure that what you're asking them to do is something that you can measure the results in. In some way or shape or form over some period of time. So yeah. um so the measurement's gonna be the key to making sure you feel good about the work yes. that they did and they feel good about yes. the work they're doing for you, as opposed to I just like them. Yeah. I was having, I had great conversations. Yeah, yeah. We had fun. We, we, yeah, well, we talked. We laughed. <laughs>
1: yeah, but sometimes, isn't it like you, you? A project turns into that thing that needs to get done, and when it gets done, there's there's more of a sigh of relief than there yes. is of any joy in it, right? And it's kind of like I really don't want to see you people for another couple of months. You know what I mean? It just it becomes that 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 thing that that, st- that millstone around your neck. Anyway, so that was the final thing. Measure, measure, measure. And our final agenda item, now we've done not only the weather, the news, and the marketing topic, is what song shall I play out We with?
3: should Jeff. play out with – actually, this is your suggestion – Come Together, <laughs> which is the Beatles song redone by Marcus Miller, you know, kind of a real yeah. funk version of a funky song. Uh, yeah. and, and obviously, you know, when you're working with an agency, you want everything to come together uh, under you, yeah. you know, which is you're yeah. the client. But what was interesting yeah. is because I was like, you know, what what was this? You know, I'm very familiar with that song. What was it about? Yeah. And it turned out that that the song came as um, John Lennon of the Beatles was going to write a campaign song for Timothy Leary, the um, right. uh, you know the LSD guy who was running in a campaign against Ronald Reagan, who eventually became our president. And yeah. uh, and so they the whole thing was like come together under under him, and yeah. uh, and so. Whatever happened to the campaign of the campaign song, the Beatles obviously released it as a very different song. And Mr. Leary complained uh, to uh, Mr. Lennon and John Lennon said, you know, basically it's like, you know, he complained the fact that the song was so different and that, you know, he was reusing what he'd given to Timothy Leary. And he's like, well, you know, it's like I'm the tailor and you're the customer. You ordered a suit and you never returned it. And never returned to pick it up, so I sold yeah. it to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, and also I love, I love how this
1: story is a piece of creative that was created by John Lennon for a client. That's Timothy right, Leary, and it's so on, on topic with with our potential. And Mr. Family. Leary
3: misused it, or, or didn't yeah. make the most of it. And so, hey, I've got yeah. better. I can make more money yeah. if I sell yeah. this commercially.
1: Yes, and then Marcus Miller covered it in 1995, th- which is my favorite version. I think of it's been covered huge. by many loads, of people, loads of people i love the marcus miller version i've seen him in concert and so that hence my suggestion for the marcus miller version, thank you very much I'll play out with now and uh so and then the final point jeff will i see you in the absolutely studio next
3: week? i'll be back in the studio and we'll welcome you in gladly <laughs> i look forward
0: to it mate. i'll see you then
1: Thank you, Jeff. That was Marcus Miller's version of Come Together by the Beatles from 1995. If you have any suggestions or comments about the topics we discussed, we'd love to hear from you. Contact us at hello at rockstarcmo.com. Right. Time to go backstage with my guest. Andrew Davis is the Chief Marketing Officer at Paddle, a complete payments infrastructure for high-growth software companies currently serving over 3,000 customers. Previously, Andrew was VP of Corporate Marketing at Optimizely, formerly EpiServer, where he led global strategy for demand gen, brand, digital, ABM, and content after it acquired the business he co-founded, IDEO where, as a co-founder and CMO, he helped build IDEO from scratch to a market leader in B2B content personalization. And as you'll hear, during his time at Optimizely, they integrated five acquisitions and rebranded the entire company. I really enjoyed meeting Andrew. hope you enjoy his time. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, Andrew?
2: I'm very well, thank you, and thanks for having me.
1: You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Um, now, before I press record, we discovered all sorts of things about how we must already know each other as we've sort of bypassed our careers and been in a lot of similar places. But for people that don't sort of know you like I do, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Sure. Um, I'm based in the sunny th- southwest of England uh, with my wife mm-hmm. and kids. Um, Yeah, loving uh, living the remote life, slightly more remote uh, than some, but much less than others. Um, And uh, I'm currently serving Paddle.com as CMO. And uh, before that, um, after university, built a company called IDEO, which was a B2B personalization platform. Uh, we can dig into some of the long and winding road behind that. If it's interesting. <laughs> That's my um,
1: intention, yeah. <laughs> and then,
2: uh, exited that and uh, worked for the Acquirer for a couple of years. And uh, also mm-hmm. over the last few years, have done a whole bunch of advisory work for mostly B2B SaaS, mostly Series A, B and C as they kind of go and mm-hmm. go through that process of startup scale up.
1: Yeah, nice, nice. So tell us a bit about paddle that you do. Well, actually, because we're both British and we're obsessed with the weather, I'm assuming the weather's beautiful down there the same way as it is here today. Or it, it is beautiful,
2: but I, I, I see the impending doom of uh, <laughs> rain forecast for every day of the next week. Although we, we live in the middle of, of lots of farmland with cows and sheep and, like, yeah. and the farmers are desperate for the rains. So absolutely, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Well, good. Well, now I can get back to business. So, tell us a little bit about Paddle. What what you're doing right now?
2: Yeah, sure. So, it's a super interesting business. Um, you know, mm-hmm. one of the, the phrases I've come across from our customers and others more recently is um, that second time founders choose Paddle. You know, when you're when you're building a, a business, <laughs> um, you know, there's a whole bunch of complexity that's under the hood that you mm-hmm. can get distracted by. Really, um, infrastructure mm-hmm. you've got to build and Paddle deals with a portion of that that we call payments infrastructure. Um, so right. often, if you go into this building a product-led SaaS business, you'll start off with a Stripe mm-hmm. or some other payment gateway, and you'll set that up super Mm -hmm. simple. Mm -hmm. Um, But then as soon as you scale, there's complexity. Um, As soon as you go international, there's multiple currencies, payment acceptance methods, there's different tax rates in every jurisdiction, there's fraud Mm -hmm. issues, then you've got to deal with subscription management. All of those things become quite a cumbersome stack you have to build over time. And Paddle does all of that for one simple fee with one partner that solves everything for you. And we've got about 3,000 customers on that billing platform. Mm -hmm. Um, Pretty much all subscription software businesses, um, you know, all product-led in some way, so they might have a set Team as well, but most of them have some form of checkout experience uh, and are selling globally. And then um, the other pieces we we interest uh, we we bought a a, pro, a company called ProfitWell um, a few months ago. Uh, fantastic acquisition, um, and they bring you know a big SaaS metrics product, uh, one of the leading SaaS metrics product in the market, uh, a retention product, and a, and a pricing product. Um, so that's really what we do. We help you understand, operate, and grow your business by taking all of that payments infrastructure headache away from you.
1: Wow! Wow! So, what's the normal profile of the kind of customer that you have? I mean, are we, you you just mentioned subscription software. Is that primarily it? What, what sort of and what sort of size of organisation?
2: Yeah. So it's it's super interesting because we we've definitely got multiple different personas we're dealing with here. Um, you know, there's a few other yeah, points yeah. when people buy Paddle, start using Paddle. The first is launch. So software companies that have got their yeah. you know minimum viable product or got some form of product and now need some payment, and a lot of our yeah. customers come to us at that very first stage. They haven't even processed a dollar yet. Mm. Um, the next stage is people mm. who are experiencing growing pain. So they've now started to put this infrastructure together and realizing they're having to add on more and more things and probably are facing, you know, h- hitting the tax thresholds in lots of territories and realizing the, the overhead that right. that adds. And so they want to bring their their revenue somewhere where it's just solved. Um, and the third piece is totally the opposite, really, which is large enterprises. Um, and we serve people like Verizon, Blue Jeans, and ServiceNow who are launching a launching or running a product-led um business line and so they maybe mm-hmm. have a very you know strong sales-led business historically and now they're trying to launch something that's self-serve and they want to put that right. entire stack and that entire business line on paddle because it solves all of those back office issues so those are really the three points where right. people engage
1: right oh, so that final one's a bit like internal entrepreneurship then really it's it's a kind of, it's an on- entrepreneurial thing it's just Sometimes it's inside a large organization, right? Yeah,
2: completely. So, you know, a job title there might be head of emerging markets or something, someone who's got exactly that kind of innovative stance in terms of building a new revenue stream. All
1: right, cool, cool. Okay, and then we touched on when you're introducing yourself. touched on IDIO, which is where we sort of could have known each other mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and uh, we've been to a lot of the same places and know, know a lot of the same people. Mm-hmm. And you successfully sold Ideo to Optimizely, who were EpiServer, mm-hmm. who many of us in the CMS industry know really well and certainly in B2B marketing tech know really well. And I've actually had the CMO Kirsten Allegri Williams on the show. She has a wonderful interview. Um, tell us about that journey. Go right back to when you founded Ideo. What inspired your decision to to actually create your own company and start that
2: so i mean it goes back earlier than idio i've got several more failures to account <laughs> before we get to idio um, i i was very fortunate to be selected for deloitte consulting scholarship program when i was 17 um, mm-hmm. so i think about 15 or 20 people back in those days a year would get selected for this program I, um, I very much felt like the underdog. Everyone else went to posh private schools. I didn't. Everyone else, you yeah. know, had been. It, I, I felt a bit of a fish out of water, moving to London to live with my uh, my relatives to go and uh, be part uh-huh. of this massive organisation. I worked in um, uh, firstly in audit for technology, media, and telecom firms, then in consulting. And basically, I did a year mm-hmm. with them, and then they paid through my university. And I went there every every summer and every winter holiday and did more work. Um, And I love my time there. I've still got lifelong friends that I met during that very formative time. Um, But it meant that after my gap year with them, I went to university with one goal, which was to start my own business so that I didn't have to accept the job offer for them on graduation um uh,
1: so many different motivations (laughs) i've talked to people on this show and never that one i i wanted to to get my own company so i didn't actually accept this role (laughs) totally my
2: dad's a chartered accountant it was the role it was kind of the path that was set in front of me and um i love my time there but i just wanted optionality and so um you know i we, we tried a top-end women's wear fashion label ended up in court in my second year. We tried a translation business or, and then a web business, which ended up being a social media app house that did, did okay. And that was kind of what we graduated with. But at that point, as I graduated, mm-hmm. um, I met Ed, who was my co-founder at IDEO, and he had aspirations mm-hmm. for a much higher growth software business than the kind of agency model we had built. And so I co founded with him uh, as I graduated. He was going into his final year. Um, And initially, it was a music magazine. It was a personalized music magazine called Idiomag. Um, uh, (laughs) Wow. Super interesting. And then, you know, over the course of the next couple of years, uh, we realized that we were bridging two dying industries, you know, publishing and the music licensing or record listing industry. <laughs> um, and so, although we got it to profitable, we were able to bootstrap it. Um, we had hundreds of thousands of readers. Mm. It was kind of you know using Last FM data and iMeme mean data and you know other music wow. listening data in order to personalize yeah. a magazine. We realized that the value yeah. was in kind of building these interest profiles and delivering personalized content mm. rather than anything to do with music. Mm. Um, and so we then mm. rebuilt the company around that and then built a software business that was a, w- enabled other companies to use that technology to personalize their web content. So that's right. really the the, the founding right. story there.
1: Wow. And that's, that's, I mean, super relevant today, isn't it? Everybody's talking about personalization. And there's some, some of us sort of cynics that have been around it for two decades, as we were discussing, you know, I was at Vignette who kids you'd need to look that up you know know, nobody knows who they are anymore but they they were the early sort of early pioneers I suppose of personalization back in the day so that's that that's really interesting and then how how did building your own business go in that I mean you started in Gloucester then we struck on being doing personalization which is a great thing but how did it go in those early days of getting that company together
2: so I mean you know, there was a phrase we were using by the end, which is we've got to survive long enough to succeed. You know, I wholeheartedly believed that the core right. we built, the technology we built was really commercially valuable, yeah. but we were a solution in search of mm-hmm. a problem for years. You know, initially yes. we were applying it to yeah. the music label industry. Then we were applying it to large CPGs. We had contracts with Diageo and Unilever. Uh, we raised some funding off the back of that from, from Notion Capital and then yeah. some other investors and, um, eventually we came to this point and i remember the management offsite where we just decided to focus 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 and we were told by a couple of members yeah. on our management team that focus isn't focus until saying no really hurts you because you're you're giving away value yeah. And um, yeah. we decided to focus exclusively on enterprise technology, B2B enterprise technology, um, and yeah. walked out of that room and used the technology we built to you know, a very strong kind of purest ABM route to market, whale hunting. Yeah. And we closed IBM and Salesforce and Intel and wow. yeah, a whole bunch of yeah. top uh, logos yeah. as a result of that decision, which led to that exit. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a long and winding road. We eventually found a market that yeah. needed and could pay for what we would built.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was the same. F- I mean, I could talk to you about this stuff for, for all afternoon. I mean, that was such the, that, that was such the issue of personalization in the early days was it was a solution searching for a problem and the complexity of implementing personalization. I don't think anybody completely understood, you know, the content need and w- how you needed to understand your customer, all that kind of stuff. It was all very, very good, but you needed expertise to help you make it happen. But as you, as, as you then, I mean, you've had that great success, but you need to scale the business, particularly the market marketing team what's your advice on the cmos that coming into that high growth environment and are looking to scale a marketing team i know you've got some ideas around that
2: yeah i mean i guess a few things firstly i I think it's really important to, uh, and this these sound obvious i guess but you know they're they're never obvious until you're trying to put them into practice um the first one is to scale scale from the customer outward you know i see that you know you've got to really deeply Mm -hmm. understand that customer and how your product fits and adds value in order to be able to to build everything else. And so, you know, when, when I yeah. think about the marketing function I've built now at Paddle, um, it's really a, a larger interpretation mm. of that, which is that product marketing sits in the middle. And um, that's how you understand your market, your mm. competitors, your, your, your personas. Then you've got demand gen that's built outside yeah. of that. And then you've got brand that's built outside of that. So first thing I think is, you know, focusing on that customer and building outwards. Um, the second thing is mm-hmm. building from the top of funnel down. I think it's too easy in a high growth environment where you've got some funding and you've got, therefore, expectations of funders um, to get the Excel spreadsheet Mm -hmm. and drag that row from left to right. And then that's your sales plan, (laughs) therefore your marketing plan. um, And it's a guillotine above your neck. And, you know, you've probably been in that scenario. I've been in that scenario where um, you've got a number that's actually not based on reality. It's based on a formula that someone built, um, and so mm-hmm. when up to the yeah. top down, I mean, you know, we've got to go and understand, is there the number of accounts we can serve? Is there the deal value there? Yes. Are we building enough pipeline to hire more SDRs? Now, once we've got those SDRs, have we got yeah. enough busyness in those SDRs and productivity to then hire some more sales reps yeah. and making sure you're always coming yeah. from the top down, I think is it adds a real kind of um, sanity to the whole mix. Um, and then the yeah. third thing is really just making sure as you build up that team, um, that you're always watching for when you can bring in talent that's going to be able to mm-hmm. bring you to a new level um, and mm-hmm. how you're investing in your existing teams and not putting a ceiling yeah. on them artificially and making sure that they've got a leadership yeah. path too. And I think one of the proudest things right. of, of what we built at IDEO was seeing people who came in as really junior members of the team um, and ended up with mm-hmm. fantastic careers at IDEO and beyond because of the experience and the pathway they yeah. were them.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I mean, we've talked about that the last couple of weeks, actually, on, on the podcast um, uh, with with my co-host, Jeff. And what, one of the things we've seen is some of that frustration in marketing, in, in, in what's going wrong in marketing, in a way, is that we don't spend enough time defining those career paths and developing our own talent and bringing people through. And that's why there's the churn. That's why people leave. And, you know, I'd hate to say the word, the great resignation, but I think we felt it quite keenly in marketing that there's been quite a a high level of churn. So I think that's a really interesting. That last point is really interesting. Um, I'm going to keep going with uh, some of my my questions because I'm fascinated by your story. But because once you landed at EpiServer or Optimizely as it is now, you became the VP of corporate marketing. But then what you needed to do was you had to assimilate a bunch of acquisitions, including your own, um, and many of us have been in that situation through ha- having worked at companies that have either I've been acquired or we've done acquiring and I'm at a highly acquisitive company right now. So just to pick your brains on this, what was your, what's your advice to to, to marketing leaders that are in that position where you have to work with these different brands and make quite difficult decisions about keeping those brands alive?
2: Yeah. I mean, firstly, I think, you know, it's so important to take loads of time to listen at the beginning when those mm-hmm. transactions happen. Um, and actually usually before those acquisitions happen, you know, ideally walking mm-hmm. into the, to the M process with at least a half baked version of what that post acquisition story is going to be. Um, so, yeah. you know, I think that that's you know, the, the listening part and the chewing over and the collaboration on that with the uh, a team you're going to acquire, I think is really important. And yeah. we felt that as acquired founders into Teppiserver, yeah. and we tried to replicate that with, with those acquisitions. So I think that was, that's something that's really, really important. And that's not just important for the value it gives you in terms of insight. I think it's just so important mm-hmm. to bring people along on the journey with you, um, because there's yeah. you know, many acquisitions fail, as we know. Uh, and I think one of the reasons yeah. they fail is because people feel like their background, history, past, present, it's, it's, it's all not being used and not being valued.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, you know steps one to five aren't being valued when you think about what step six and seven is so i think that's one thing that's really important um i think another piece that you know is so often so so easy to overlook in the cut and thrust of doing a roll-up is that you've got to design where you want to be in three or four years as an ideal state mm-hmm. and work out which other mm-hmm. uh, jigsaw this is. Uh, it's so easy to yeah. look at the pieces you've got in front of you and work out the best way of pragmatically fitting them together, which brands are strong, which yes. are weaker. Um, but yes. you can get into a bit of a mess by doing that if you haven't got a clear view of what you're trying to build and and where this gets yeah. um, And then yeah. you know, just it's a, a, a useful thing I find for most decisions. But you know, in a world where we're building stuff that's hard, um, just mm. don't try to swim upstream. Like if it feels complicated and if people aren't getting what you're talking about, it's usually not the right yeah. thing. And and using <laughs> that as a simple test for me, a rule of thumb, I think, is super interesting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, no. Good for it.
1: Yeah. Sorry, no. I, I mean, I love that. I love that your approach there to the acquisition because before I hit record, we were talking about a mutual. Um, I guess mutual. What's boss for me? I think he was your chairman, yep. uh, David Eldridge, and and uh, when we got acquired, when I worked at Media Surface mm-hmm. and we stepped into Altirian, what I liked there was they had a story already in place for why they were acquiring the company i work for and that's so important that you as an employee i mean fairly senior employee as i was but for everybody as you walk in and go are oh, these guys have got a plan we're part of a plan rather than how often do you see like oh we've got this opportunity to acquire yeah. this company let's make this shit up as we go along you know and uh, what's the story well i think the and you sometimes see it even from externally don't you from the pr you think hang on they're making this up as they go along. They're just, they're just, they're, they're, this isn't a match made in heaven. This was a match made by some VCs or something. And now they're trying to create a story around it, right? So yeah. I think that story thing is so essential.
2: Yeah. No, 100% yeah. agree.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and talking about rebranding, I mean, I mean, one of the challenges I think we all have when we work for a company that's either been acquired or doing acquiring is what do you do with the brands? And, um, you know, and, and every every company that I'm aware of that's been acquired always talks about how they've got brand equity, how their brand is so important, and you can't can't transition away. We can't possibly leave this. But I thought it was remarkable, and I I spoke to Kirsten about it when she was on the show that EpiServer took a really interesting view in that they then rebranded themselves as one of their acquisitions, right? So they went from EpiServer to Optimizely. Yep. And I know you were there and you were part of that decision. So what tell us about that process and how you came to decide that actually EpiServer, a brand I know really well after two decades in the CMS industry, was not what you wanted to go forward with. You wanted to go forward with Optimizely.
2: Yeah, I mean, this was a really fun process. To start <laughs> um, I worked super closely with Kirsten and with Alex, the CEO there on this. Mm, um, yeah. You know, yeah. I think a few things that led us to that decision. Um, you know, yeah. Fundamentally, when I came in the, in the door at EpiServer, Totally understood that there was this very strong European centric um, you know, audience mm-hmm. that deeply knew and understood Epicerver. But like the name itself is mm-hmm. problematic, right? Like if, if you look at, yeah. you know, server is something we're trying to get everyone to migrate away from and is a dirty word. Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah. Which was how they framed their logo. It wasn't called Episerver. The brand logo was was Epi. Is a you know if you mm-hmm. look at the, the the search terms for that, it's a you know it's a it's a, it's a medical issue. It's a, you know it's, a, yeah. it's a, yeah. You've got a challenge yeah. there instantly, right? With with your yeah, yeah. perception. So. When we acquired Optimizely, I think it was in myself and Alex and Kirsten's mind that this might be somewhere we went, but we clearly wanted to be very Mm -hmm. data-driven around it. And so we did a piece of research with an external agency called Vertic, and we basically showed that, number one, there was lots of areas of complement and synergy. So Optimizely Mm -hmm. had a very strong, still has a very strong top of funnel content play. They have this glossary that's driving over a million visits a year to a bunch of search terms, including CMS. They have the web snippet for CMS, Mm -hmm. you know, some really valuable pieces there um, and had been much stronger at, at investing in that long-term play, um, but Episerver was much stronger in kind of the later deal stages. So we had loads mm. of analyst proof, loads of community, loads of documentation, yeah. loads of partner deployers, yeah. and so suddenly there's a, 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 a kind of a reason to believe why bringing these two you know content areas together could strengthen mm. any deal cycle. But then also, mm. when we looked at the associations, um, Optimizely was associated with innovation, experimentation, perceived as a forward-looking brand, yeah. had a strong US you know awareness. Yeah. Um, whereas Episerver yeah. has a strong EU, uh, EU base, but almost no mm. US awareness. And yeah. you know, I mentioned yeah. the complications over the name, and so fundamentally. Yeah. It was, We felt it was easier and higher yield to reposition optimizely as a leader in digital experience rather than just experimentation mm-hmm. than it was to reinvent mm-hmm. Episerver as a modern brand, particularly for the US. Yeah. Uh, and that's what it came down to.
1: Yeah, I think it's brilliant because I mean, I'm probably one of the one of the stick in the muds that you had to com- to, to convince. Right? <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Getting rid of Episerver? Oh, that seems exactly weird. What? But I think. <laughs> no i'm I'm not i'm not saying i was displeased it's just a a a, um quite not a shock is too much too strong a word but it was quite a surprising move and i think um but i i like what you're saying because i think we all need to re um reimagine our brands and redevelop and move forward so understanding the brand attributes of the brands that you have when you've got a portfolio like that and what which one matches the future of what your brand wants to be, if you like, because all brands have those attributes, don't they? And the attributes of EpiServer were great 10 years ago, not the ones that you wanted to go with going forward. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and a bold decision. I thought it was great. And oh, blind me, I've just seen the time. Um so, and I always say that almost at every interview, it's like, good lord. Um, so for the final question, um, we have a regular feature on the Rockstar CMO sw- called the Rockstar CMO swimming pool, where we throw all the bullshit snake hole and overhyped trends that, that plague this industry. We love what would you chuck in?
2: Um I'll chuck in uh, a reasonably controversial one, which is the uh everyone's got to create a category, uh, the category creation for everybody myth. Um, I, I, in my... <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got multiple of the books here right beside me, but you know, I, I, at, at IDEO, we created a subcategory, a that then got badged yes. by Forrester, badged by Gartner. Um, you know, yeah. and Optimizely, I think we were competing in 17 separate analyst reports. Oh a huge, huge bit of project there, but you know yeah. the, the myth that every startup has to dominate by creating their own category i think is leading yeah. to massive confusion in the in the eyes of the buyer and the analysts yeah. and you know the vendors themselves well uh, i yeah
1: oh my god i could talk to you about this just topic yeah. just this for 20 minutes i'm sure and i don't don't know if i saw play bigger um, as the, the book play big feature when you just showed me that book but um, but I also think there's a level of collusion as well with the analysts because I think I think there are analysts out there that are trying to find their own little totally. you know hill to it's die like on robot. or their own rock that they can claim yep. and then they collude with the vendors and suddenly a category of a new fucking TLA is invented right it's, okay. and it's what we're really good at as marketers isn't it No 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 we're not the um, People's front of Judea. With yep. the and that dates me hugely. And even <laughs> you're going to have to look up Monty Python kids. Oh, I'm, I'm, but a, the... <laughs> I'm a Monty
2: Python fan. I'm a Monty Python
1: fan. <laughs> oh, that, I, I love that. I love that for the pool. I think that's definitely going to go in. So um, sorry that we're running out of time. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Nice to meet you. um But when the listeners spin the dial on the interwebs, where will they find you? Sorry, say
2: that again. when
1: uh, where, uh, i had this last the other week as well when listeners spin the dial on the interwebs where they're going to find you linkedin twitter that there kind of stuff go, sorry. No, sorry. <laughs> i
2: missed the word interwebs and i was wondering if i was missing the context here so, ah. super happy on linkedin and twitter feel free to grab me there andrew davies mm-hmm. if you're in the real world though sasta and sastoc the two big sas conferences coming over the next couple of months are uh, we'll have a big presence nice. at, meeting loads of customers and prospects so we do exist in real life as well
1: Nice. Well, I'll include all those links in the show notes. Thank you very much for your time, Andrew. I really enjoyed that. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Andrew, and a great nomination for the pool for anyone in B2B tech. The fact that we're always creating new acronyms and categories. Right, it's the end of the week. Time to wind down, and where better than the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar, where I find my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, Chief Troublemaker at the Content Advisory, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Mubbet.
0: What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome. Welcome to the bar. You know, this week I I have to say, I look around the bar and it's there. Just seems to what is that? I think it's one guy over in the corner playing. Like is he is he playing like like a a blues or something like but just like this really steel guitar sort of you know bluesy oh. I see, it's a it's just a blues guy just sitting in the corner uh-huh. playing blues st- guitar. I like yes. it. I like that. I like that you've yes. uh, you've 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 sort of set a mood with the whole blues <laughs> guitar. Yes, here. we're blues. We're blues. Let me catch up. Yes,
1: we're a ah, blues. Maybe a little this harmonica week.
0: too. Oh, I hear a little <laughs> harmonica. That's
1: yeah. good well, stuff. I think- after, I think after a couple of weeks ago where you had Man United fans in mean, here, you've let me off lightly with, with just a decent man playing the blues on a steel guitar. I think that's, that's
0: right. And isn't, doesn't
1: he sound great?
0: He does. He does sound great. And it's a really <laughs> it's a really nice mood setting place for our cocktail this mm-hmm. week, which we're going Good. to pay a little homage to the dude. Uh, and we're going to make, because uh, I haven't had it in a while, and I sort of had a hankering yeah. for it, a classic white Russian. Um, oh, and, um, you know, and so, yeah, it, it's basically, you know, you know, the classic white Russian, you know, you're, uh, you're familiar with the, the the movie, of course, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, and I'm familiar with black Russians. I'm not, I, I'm not that familiar with drinking white Russians, to be honest with you. But I, I I'm willing to try. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Well, it's basically, it, it's, it's as simple as it gets. It's mm-hmm. uh, a, a vodka drink. Um, yeah. with heavy cream, you, and that's the important part is a heavy cream, a heavy whipping cream. Um, yes. not whipped of course, but a heavy cream, uh, mm-hmm. which is oddly hard to find in, uh, London, by the way, oh, I like my coffee with heavy uh, cream. Um, uh, and you know, you ask for that in a restaurant and it's like, they, you, it's like you've got four heads or something anyway. Wow. Um, so you've got, uh, your vodka, your heavy cream, and of course a coffee liqueur, um, And, and so, uh, basically, uh, the black Russian is just without the heavy cream. That's all. Um, and so your white Russian is, uh, the heavy cream, the coffee liqueur and the vodka mixed together. And as you saw the dude do in the movie, um, Mm -hmm. mix it all up together. And it's just, it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely thing. It's basically an iced coffee with, (laughs) with vodka in it, but you know, (laughs) we'll get fancy and call it the white Russian um yeah so uh, that's our that's our drink splendid.
1: splendid and i think i think it's a symbol of how things have moved on with london hospitality that it's actually heavy cream that's the challenge just getting any service used to be the problem so yeah well there is that too <laughs> well done yeah. london there is that there is that yes <laughs> it wasn't just spam and chips but anyway So, and uh, in commemorating the dude and drinking these white Russians, where would we be drinking these? Where are we going to transport the bar to this week?
0: Well, I'm still trying to get out of the heat of here in Southern California. (laughs) Yes. So uh, I think, um, you know, I I think somewhere near you. I I have this very strong urge to get to the UK. Um, I haven't Mm. been in so long. Um, I mean, I say so long and it's been, I think I was there in March. Um, you are. And, um, thank you. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> for keeping my travel schedule, um, for me. Um, but uh, you know, I, it, it is most years I would get there two, three, four times in a year. And, um, yeah. you know, it is one of my favorite places. So I, I think somewhere, you know, and I would let you pick the exact spot, but somewhere yes. in, in, uh, in the greater London area, maybe not just downtown nice. where all the tourists go, maybe somewhere outside, um, that uh that we could find a spot a cool spot as fall starts to set and uh, we have one of these white russians together
1: i, I love it and la- last time you were in london i chose where we were based on their tequila menu and this time i would need to choose it on the fact they've got heavy cream
0: <laughs> that's right which is i'm i'm telling you now is a difficult thing I, I every time i'm there it's a they i met these and i stay at these nicer hotels too and they all look at yeah. me like Really heavy really? cream? in your coffee? <laughs> What are you crazy? You know. By the way, I get the same reaction in New York. It's not just London. It's New York. Is yeah. a similar thing. That's like if it's not milk in your coffee, they yeah. they don't know what to do.
1: Oh, well. Um, like my White Russians, I like my coffee black, so
0: <laughs> I don't have that go. challenge either. There you I mean, go. So
1: we're we're sipping these White Russians uh, in a, a London bar of my choice. That's found some heavy cream, fortunately um and and our conversation turns to marketing what are we going to be chatting to well we're going to
0: talk a little bit about more um more more yeah um Mm -hmm. and you know this is the cue right for the disco song more 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 oh you know what Uh, i've forgotten to do i haven't made my drink ah well you should make your drink you should make your drink got
1: carried away with the way, with the yeah i'm sitting here with an empty glass what's going on so anyway i'm going to attempt to make that very drink with only the ingredients on my desktop bar so i so have just it's a, it's a good life. thing that
0: the uh that the theme this week is more because you need more yeah. in your glass
1: well yes i certainly do and uh, and moments like this maybe i've had too much in my glass, and this is the <laughs> And I, sorry, I went for them again. It's another vodka week this week, and I've gone for the most Scottish of vodkas, Hendrix Gin. Ah, yes. Uh, in which I have slopped into there. And then I don't have coffee liqueur or any heavy cream, which won't surprise you, actually, that an English um, bar does not have heavy cream. But what we do have is some very heavy. Uh, tonic, tonic water. water. <laughs> <laughs> with. <laughs> with With the weight of cucumber in it. I see.
0: (laughs) That That just sounds, that that sounds lovely.
1: What I would say to you though, is this uh, drink is on the lighter side. Oh, that's delicious Robert. And I, I know that we're doing things all in the wrong order now. But what are we calling those?
0: I uh, would call that a white <laughs> Russian. Yes, we'd call that a, a, a maybe maybe in your case, we'd call that a, a white Londoner or something. Yeah, white.
1: <laughs> something. All right. And then uh, let's get back to the conversation now. I've made myself drink. So we're going to talk about more, Robert.
0: We are going to talk about more. And it, it's funny because it, it, there's a really interesting thing. This is something that I've come to lately, um, which is. Mm. I see so many marketing strategies based on this idea of more. And mm-hmm. and, I'll, and I'll get to what I mean by that because, you know, so golf. Um, I'm not a mm. golfer. Are you a golfer?
1: Uh, no, I did do nine holes once. I wasn't very good.
0: <laughs> okay, so you do golf. You just don't do it particularly well, have, which is the story golf. of most golfers. I, I suspect.
1: I, I have golf. The amusing part of that story was that the guy that was showing me how to do it was an actual golfer, and he was having a really shit day. <laughs> and I was, and and it made me laugh so hard that he was getting so frustrated with his own golf while, he, while I poodled around. But anyway, that was. Uh, that, I was see. That. Yes, I don't golf I, on a regular basis.
0: Well, I don't do golf at all. Um, And I find what I'm intrigued by, however, with the entire golf is, is that the, the entire goal of golf is to actually play the least amount of golf. Um, yeah, that's true. If you think about it, you know, the winner uh, in a golf game is the one who played the least amount of it. Um, yes. And interestingly, so I find marketing is, should be a similar kind of approach. And, You know and i'll tell you why because so specific with content marketing for example clients will often talk to me and they'll say something like everybody in our business wants more content more content they need Mm -hmm. more content but they don't even Mm -hmm. use what we create so we're a little Mm -hmm. bit at a you know a crossroads here and you go well that seems really counterintuitive if they're just wasting it why don't you just produce less of it and then they'll come back to me and they'll go well we could produce less and we might waste a smaller percentage of it, but everybody still wants more. And it's so, you know, it's like if you give them the fire hose of content, you waste so much, but at least everybody's, you know, you know, sort of perceived thirst is, is quenched. But if you give them the garden hose of just the right amount of content, everybody wants more. They want more, more, more. And, marketing is the same way, right? There's sort of this default to how much marketing should we do more is the answer. That should be the strategy, more leads, more content, more marketing, more reach, more you know opportunities, more sales. Because why? Well, it, because it, it the, the, the theory is, is that it mitigates the risk. If you can do more of it, then yep. you're just pouring more over the top of it. And despite how much is wasted, you'll get what you need. And that becomes the goal when we're trying to do just about anything. And it's interesting because I used to even answer the question. A lot of people would ask like clients or students in workshops or anything, and they would say, how much content should we be producing? And I used to, knowing that the answer was going to be more is needed. I would say as much as you can be great at. And my theory behind that answer was, well, you should deliver as much content as you can while you maintain some level of quality standard that you theoretically have set. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. But now I, what I realize is, is that that result is wrong because it, it, it immediately rationalizes not creating the right kind of strategy. In other words, what I'm saying is is that what we want to do is we want to switch the question not to how do we do more, but how do we do enough? Because yeah. more is not enough. Enough is enough. And yeah. if you think about that for a minute, think about any great movie you saw or any great book or any great play or any great, you know, piece of art that you've seen. And it leaves you wanting more, right? It leaves yeah. you, It. but the reason it leaves you wanting more is because it was enough. It was just enough to meet the goal yeah. of making you want more. And, yeah. you know, Great Gatsby, perfect example. That novel is 180 pages. It's short. It's very short. Classic, classic film Casablanca. It's a hundred minutes. It's barely an hour wow. and a half long. Perfect length for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. the Better Call Saul, wonderful TV series that literally just ended a couple of weeks ago um, after six seasons, and they ended it just when it should have ended. And that's the key is is mm-hmm. that how many times have we watched a movie? read a novel, seen a TV series, especially streaming series these days yeah. and go, yeah, that was okay, but it should have been three episodes, not eight. Right. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's yeah. a classic symptom of let's do more because more is our default. Now that's not to say that long content can't be good, right? You know, war and peace mm. is 1200 <laughs> pages. It wouldn't be war and peace if it wasn't war and peace in 1200 pages. But yeah. what I've seen is is that where marketing teams are successful, and specifically in content mm-hmm. teams, where they're successful, is where they have defaulted the question to out of what more can we do and how do we mm-hmm. do enough. And the reason is because enough focuses on the impact that we're having. It forces mm-hmm. us to say, if how much is enough, we say, well, enough to what? right? You know, enough to draw the right leads, enough to set an objective that we need to fulfill the sales enablement team, enough that we need to create a thousand subscribers, enough to what? Enough to set Mm. that goal. And once Mm. we define that goal, now it's game on for, you know, content golf, Mm. right? You know, marketing golf, Mm. basically. How (laughs) little can we actually swing our clubs (laughs) to meet that goal? Because that will be enough. And, yeah. and, and if for some reason you find yourself with nothing to do, which is ridiculous, of course, but if mm-hmm. you find yourself with time on your hands, maybe we should spend that time thinking about what kind of content would be enough to mm-hmm. fill the enough rather mm-hmm. than sort of just defaulting to assembling more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's I, I think, this a is... new approach to getting to a objective based strategy.
1: This is such good advice, like for anything really, isn't it? Because, um, we're in such a hustle culture, like more is just more, do more, um, you know, work harder, work longer, create more content, even just from a personal perspective, let's say that's right from a, a team perspective. And I just love that, that thing about golf play as little as you can. I think that's great advice for anybody play as little as you can and be really good at it when you do it. I think that's fantastic.
0: Yeah. It's absolutely, you know, it, it helps us rethink what I like about it is, is that it forces us to rationalize an objective-based strategy rather than simply defaulting to more activity. Um, and so, you know, because if you can define enough now, all of a sudden, you know, it's the, you know, you start creating toward the goal rather than letting Mm. the goal create you. Yeah and that's you know that 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 is is an important part because you know we just have more things to do these days than to sit around and assemble more content or assemble more campaigns or assemble more reports or assemble more technology and it it, if Mm. if if we don't know how much is enough then any of those activities are are just as important
1: yeah i love it and um And yeah, I mean, you've probably had this experience with your consulting as well, as if you go and talk to an organization, I've actually had the situation where it's like, okay, so you're looking to do this amount of business. This means you'll need this number of, um, opportunities and this number of deals, and you'll need this number of SQL working my way up the pipeline and realizing that actually they need to do a lot less than they thought they did. If they focused really hard on what they actually needed to do to make their target. Then they didn't, you know, starting from the top of the pipeline, how much marketing they needed to do rather than at the bottom of, um, and working their way up. You know, sometimes t- sometimes you don't
0: need to play that much golf. <laughs> it's it's a great point, because yeah. the first pushback you get on that kind of idea is, well, we have no idea how much is enough. Yeah. Be- yeah and yeah, exactly. and and the reason is, is because they've never measured. They've never, they've never taken the time to understand how much is enough, right? How much did it take to actually create a hundred leads or 10,000 subscribers or, you know, a a loyal customer or whatever it is, they just, they just go, oh, it's just, it it was a lot, right? You know, we know we created a lot of stuff. We did a lot of things, but we don't really understand the activities that we did that, you know, and. You know, look. It, this is not a science. This is not going to get down to a flywheel of saying, "Do X, get Y." Right? Marketing has uh-huh. never been like that. Content uh-huh. has never been like that. It's not a. It's not a situation where you go, you know, you can algorithmically figure out exactly how much you are going to need to fulfill against the yeah. enough question. Marketing has always been an art and a science, but if you take your intention and set it that way like you would in golf right how many strokes is enough to win the game you don't know you just know that it's as least as you possibly can against the opponent that you have which might be yourself in some cases i was going to say that
1: yeah i mean if you're producing loads and loads of content your content is competing with your own content
0: that's right that's exactly right yeah yeah that's exactly right oh
1: that's an excellent point all right so uh if people are um Looking to do a round, I can't do this analogy. I've, I've lost my plot. Um, looking for a round of content, where might they fa- find
0: a course on which to play? <laughs> where might they, where might they tee off? Yes, for content. Um, oh my gosh, we can yes. do puns all day. You'll find us at contentadvisory.net and just skip play- the nonsense. <laughs> Splendid! And when people spin the
1: dial on the internet, where are they going to find you, Robert?
0: Oh, find us at uh, this wonderful little place um, called LinkedIn. It's a little startup company that I think has got a little I've bit of, of promise to of it. it.
1: They, yeah. Yes, I've heard of it. It's a bit like that Truth Social thing, isn't it? Only more profitable. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right, mate. Well, and for me, uh, will you be in the bar next
0: week? I will. Uh, I will be at Content Marketing World, so we can have a little bit of a discussion about that. So it'll be a little bit of a different discussion, I suspect, because mm-hmm. I'll be uh, I'll be just coming off of four days of Content Marketing World.
1: I think you'll need a drink, my friend.
0: I uh, indeed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, I'll see you then. Cheers, buddy. Thank you, Robert. So we need to market like we're playing golf. I love it. So, that's a wrap on episode 131 of the Rockstar CMO effing marketing podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Andrew, and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello to them. I'll include all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.com, where you can find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcast YouTube box, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Let us know on the socials or please drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, I go backstage with fashion designer turned B2B marketer Helena Sobolev. And as you heard, Jeff will be in the studio and Robert will be in the bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you'll again join us next week on Rockstar CMO FM.